1: Welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, otherwise known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Clinton Klomp. Clinton is an artist and an introvert and the nicest roommate I ever had. Uh, He brought figs with him, and I just got to see my producer eat a fig for the first time. And I also had a fig for like the third time. So you guys just missed a real soul's awakening in here in the studio. We all... Got taught how to eat figs. Um, There's like a whole technique. It was beautiful. It felt like a Proust book. And um, it was just a really special moment. I should have known.
2: It was like my 50th fig this week.
1: I should have known that you would like come in to the studio, bringing with you like fresh mountain breezes and just be like, who wants a brand new experience in their life that they've never had before? And you fucking delivered. Thank you.
2: Oh, you're so welcome. I'm glad to be here.
1: So in the spirit of eating figs for the first time, which also I really want another fig, but it is impossible to eat on the air. So I'm just going to stare at them not angrily uh, until we are done recording. Um, but I'm so excited about tackling all these uh, questions. I don't know that I've ever had anyone on the show that I've ever lived with, except for, I guess, uh, my parents and my sister who have all been on the show. And I lived with them like as a child, not when it was like, all I want to do is eat in and out and watch SVU and cry.
2: Oh, in and out yeah. <laughs> Which is like all the days. that I did when we lived yep. together.
1: We lived right across the street from an In-N-Out.
2: <sighs> Walking distance, yeah. And
1: I don't know if you know this, but I would often go to In-N-Out while you were at work or school and then throw it away in the dumpster outside <laughs> so that when you came home, you would not be like, oh, Mallory's already been to In-N-Out. You'd be like, do you want to go to In-N-Out for the first time today? I'd be like, yes, yeah, I haven't been yet. So... <laughs> Let's see what they're doing.
2: I may have been doing the same thing. So we are classy people hanging (laughs) out together. (laughs) Maybe
1: the... All that time. All that time we could have been honest with one another. So we'll let honesty uh, and self-disclosure be the theme of this week's episode. And uh, to that end, uh, our first letter is... uh, I feel like I've gotten a lot of letters like this lately about how to deal with a a relative who's coming out, not the letter writer themselves, and then, like, the extended family. Um, And I'm really grateful that this one, at least, is like, don't worry, I'm not going to out anybody against their will, which is a a market improvement. Yeah. So the subject of this one is just accepting parents, homophobic grandma. Dear Prudence, my brother, a promising college student in his 20s, recently came out to our immediate family. I'm happy to report that this hasn't caused any ripples and doesn't bother our parents or maternal grandmother. However, our other Republican Catholic grandmother doesn't know. My dad and brother disagree on when to tell grandmom. Let me say I would never out my brother. Dad wants to wait until Jack is in a relationship to tell grandmom. As my father is a wonderful but conflict avoidant man and grandmom didn't like that my boyfriend is Anglican instead of Roman Catholic, I can see his side. But my brother is somewhat hurt by this. I mostly worry that lying to her, I am not honest about my lack of church attendance or religiosity with her, so this is a family pattern, is wrong and will make the eventual coming out worse. I love my grandmother, but she is an adult, and the goal should not be for everyone else to minimize her getting upset. She's a nice lady, I always call her once a week, and she's generous and loving, although I know those qualities don't excuse homophobia. Who is right here?
2: I don't think the question's who's right here. Yeah. Like, obviously, your grandma's wrong for being homophobic. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I don't feel like this is any of, uh, I was going to say her, but the this letter writer, yeah. the letter writer's problem.
1: Yeah. So- like, it,
2: is the grandma saying homophobic stuff to her constantly?
1: I mean, I think we can extrapolate that if she's like, I really wish your boyfriend wasn't Episcopalian, (laughs) that she's also going to have like a slight issue with homosexuality. Uh, But yeah, this is like a really common problem with coming out, right? Is it's like the parents are one whole thing and then the grandparents are like a whole different kettle of fish. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Fish and kettle wise, super separate. Um, But if it's down between like your brother and your dad, the good news is... Your brother can come out to your grandmother even if your dad doesn't think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Like he – you know, you say that your brother is upset and kind of hurt. So if you feel like he needs a little additional support from you, like if you just want to call and say, like, look, whenever you decide to come out to grandmom, I support you. I'm with you. If there's anything I can do to help, let me know. But, yeah, just let him know that, like, you're in his corner. He – if he really wants to do it now, he does not need your dad's permission. Um I, God, I did wait until I was in a relationship to come out to my family and, like, I can't really, like, vouch for that. Do you know, Like, it's not better or worse. Like, it's kind of, you, you think it's going to be helpful because you're like, I can kind of blame it on somebody else. Or, like, now you have to meet someone who's a stranger. You have to be nice. So right. you can't get too weird about this. But it's also sort of, like... You're. There, I feel like there's a lot of old folksy expressions about borrowing things that I can almost remember. It's like borrowing <laughs> Peter to pay Paul or, like, gladly oh, paying yeah, you yeah. Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> like, if you're going to have to do it, like, why? The worst part is always beforehand. Like, the dreading it is always the worst part.
2: Oh, yeah. The fear is way worse than even if the fear comes true. The
1: fear is so bad. And in your yeah. head, it can happen repeatedly throughout the day. <laughs> whereas, like, your family can only be mad at you in real time
2: yeah and you can kind of shut them off especially (laughs) if the grandma is only you know accessible by phone call right you don't have to take those right away she's gonna be screaming but i yeah i don't know i think I, i don't know if he really is wanting to come out go for it but i don't feel like i don't know i don't feel like for me, that wasn't something that was, like, owed to my grandparents, that mm-hmm. I go out of my way to tell them. But I guess I wasn't that close with them anyway. Yeah.
1: And I can see, like, the letter writer says, like, my dad's conflict avoidant. And I get it because he knows he's going to get some blowback. Like, but this is not his conflict no. to avoid. Like, if if grandmom starts calling dad and being like, what did you do to make your son gay? Like, <laughs> you know, that's unfortunate. But he's going to have to deal with that on his own time. And, like, if if your brother doesn't want this hanging over his head, he should just come out. And um, like, I I I t- believe me, letter writer. I'm so sympathetic to your dad in the sense that I too, I'm always like, why would you ever have a conversation that you didn't have to? Like,
2: oh, me too. Yeah. Especially
1: when it comes to family, I'm always like, yeah. If I'm dead, I'll then Yeah, if 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 like a train is coming for me, I'll be like, fine. Here's a feeling I had, but like otherwise, no. But you you have to. You can't live life that way. It's a bad strategy.
2: Yeah, I guess I was just never that close with my grandparents in my adult life, so it would be weird to have brought it up, mm-hmm. you know, especially if, I don't know, I it, it would be like, hey, just so you know, like, I'm really into art. Or, you know, I don't know, like, right. for me, it would have been weird, but if that's not what the brother's situation is, if it is something where he feels like he's totally dancing around it, mm-hmm. then yeah, but well, this is this is the between the guy, yeah.
1: and, the and his grandma. grandma. Yeah, that's exactly. It. That's like, it. And the good news is, like, <laughs> you don't have to do anything except for support your brother. Yeah. And if your grandma tries to say something really, like, lousy to you, you can be like, not here for that, Grams.
2: And that has nothing to do with your brother. You right. can be like, Grandma, that's effed up. Yeah. Without being like, because my brother is gay. You totally. can just be like, because it's effed up. That's not okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, and I think sometimes, too, thinking about, like, what you were saying with your Grandmother, like, I don't get a lot of letters like this from people who are like, I see my grandma once a year and it's not really an issue, right? Like, I think sometimes (laughs) it's really difficult when you have a close knit family, but close knit in the way that, like, the closeness is sort of predicated on not stirring the pot too much. Also, my stomach keeps growling because I want more fakes. So I hope (laughs) this isn't getting picked up by the radio or whatever it is that's recording us. I don't understand how sound works. Um, and those are, th- those are really hard relationships. And again, I get it. Like, when you're like, oh, I love my grandma. We talk a lot. And I know she's not okay with this, like, big part of who I am. And I have not yet told her either that, like, I'm gay or I'm, you know, fill in the blank. Or just disagree with her. Because there's a sense of, like, no one wants to explain things to their grandma. Yeah. Like, you want to just be like, hey, grandma, like, let's watch a murder mystery and, like, talk about your slow cooker or whatever your grandma is into. But you she can handle it yes yeah so you letter writer get to back off this a little bit like it's not your issue but definitely tell your brother that whatever he wants to do should be what like makes the decision and if anybody else tries to rope you into it just be like i support jack in whatever he does as long as it's not like murder
2: (laughs) yes completely agreed yeah
1: Yeah. i was talking about this the (laughs) other day with a friend of mine about how like i wish we could get like a strangers on the train type company going for people who need to have conversations with their families, (laughs) where, like, someone, like, you just don't know, will like, volunteers, and it's like, I'll tell your mom that you're living with your boyfriend, or, like, I'll tell your mom that you got fired, or, like, whatever, I'll tell, like, your aunt for you that you're doing something embarrassing like everybody just does it on everyone else's behalf and because it's not your family you're like this doesn't matter that is a really
2: good app idea you might want to hop on that I now i would love
1: that but then i'd have to make it really clear like i know i'm referencing strangers on a train but you can't <laughs> murder people hmm. no murder that on yeah this app.
2: It's slippery slope, so please say.
1: yeah as they as they do say all right would you be so good as to read the second letter for us <clears throat>
2: Dear Prudence, I'm straight and was happily married. My former best friend is a lesbian going through a divorce. After a year of friendship, she told me she was in love with me. I was furious and didn't speak to her for two months. Over that time, I realized I loved her back and told her I was in love with her too. She immediately acted like we were in a relationship. She came over with homemade soup when I was sick, comforted me when a close relative passed away, and always wanted to be with me. I realized I no longer wanted to be with my husband. I told my friend I wanted to spend my life with her, but quickly realized it was a mistake and told her we had to only be friends. She got manipulative. She burst into tears every time she saw me and at one point told me she was feeling suicidal and had a plan. I got up, left, and told her I never wanted to see or hear from her. For the most part, she respected my wishes. She didn't speak to me and avoided me at work. Several months ago, she wrote me an apology. Two months ago, she sent me a divorce support book and some links to some divorce blogs she found helpful. Last month, she wrote saying she was thinking of me and my family and hoped we were getting the support we all needed. She left the job we shared, but I find her further contact unwanted. How can I make her go away and never contact me again?
1: Whoa. (laughs) This was a wild ride. Yeah. Like, before I kind of jump into some of the other stuff that I think would be great, to look at in the letter writer's position, like, to be clear, it is absolutely okay for you to not want to hear from her again. Yeah, And to that end, um, I think a short email um, just in response that says, don't contact me again. I will not respond to any future attempts to get in touch. Um, that's it. That's all you have to do. And then block her email, block her number. Um, if she does attempt to contact you again, I think after that initial um like, telling her I'm not going to get in touch, I'm not going to respond again, mm-hmm. continue to not respond. Uh, you can keep them on file if you need to. Hopefully she will respect it. Um, but, you know, don't, don't like, get caught back up in that sort of, like, oh, she emailed me eight times, I have to say something again, because I just, you know.
2: Right, keep not responding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It doesn't so, work to say, I won't respond, and then keep saying, I'm not going to respond.
1: Right, just write her <laughs> back and then ju- yeah. just, just say, I don't want to hear from you again. Stop. Um,
2: that's If you're, like, I was... a huge jerk, Um, but if you need closure, like, this is closure. Consider this it. Yeah. This is on you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, like, not to say that, like, she's justified in pressing contact when you've told her you don't want to hear from her at all, but also, like, wow, like, you just described a big old mess, like... (laughs) And I hope that you are uh, getting the support that you need. Like, it was maybe not super appropriate for her to be checking in with you about that. But, like, you were furious when she said she was in love with you, didn't talk to her for two months. Somehow that turned into realizing you were in love with her and you told her you were in love with her. And then you write, like, then it was like she thought we were in a relationship, which is like, I mean, at the time, kind of fair. You guys both said you were in love with each other. I don't think it's shocking that she was like, I will act like we're in love now. No. know. Um, and so, like, yeah, you you went back and forth on this, like, a couple times that are really intense. And I, I, I don't know if this is super out of character for you, but, like, that's definitely um, – those are some really intense, like, totally opposing messages. Again, not to say that that means that you deserve to get, like, emailed repeatedly when you said don't get in touch, but um, – I I think maybe this letter, you kind of think, like, this woman went nuts at me, and you guys definitely both went nuts at each other Mm -hmm. repeatedly for a while.
2: That was the thing when I read—the first time when I read, um, she she became manipulative. I was like, she got manipulative? Right. Really? Okay.
1: Yeah. This is
2: definitely a two-way—like, yeah, definitely she's in the wrong, but that doesn't mean you're not also.
1: Yeah, and and again, just, like, my former best friend, like— there's also a lot of intensity over a very short period of time. You say after a year of friendships, she said she was in love with me. So you've known this person for, like, at most... Uh, it's It sounds like, based on the timeline in this letter, less than two years have you known this person. Um, and that's not to say that you can't have a best friend that you haven't known your whole life. It's just, like, this is a lot. This is a lot. Like, two years ago, you didn't even know this woman's name. And now that all this has happened. So I would I would definitely encourage you to like check out a therapist.
2: That was my solid advice as and, well.
1: Yeah. And just kind of say like this is the roller coaster my emotional life took over the last year and a half. I don't want to get into another relationship like that in the future. I don't want to have that kind of intense back and forth where someone says, I love you, and I get furious and silent for two months. And then I'm like, I love you, too, but don't bring me soup. Fuck off. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And, like, I get it. And I get how those, like, emotions—I'm not saying I called her a jerk, and that was rude. But it's like, I get how those emotions totally take over everything that you can think about, really. And that— Like, everything probably made sense in the moment, but, like, yeah, this is—you should definitely explore this. Yeah,
1: you definitely were dealing with a lot of possibly really unexpected, unlooked-for feelings that Mm -hmm. overwhelmed you, but, like, I just want you to, like, listen to these two sentences together. I told my friend I wanted to spend my life with her, but quickly realized it was a mistake and told her we only had to be friends. She got manipulative. Again, I'm not saying you woke up one morning twirling your mustache being like, I really want to jerk this woman around, but, like— Apparently, in a very short span of time, you said, I want to spend my life with you, and then, nope, that's a mistake. We should only be friends. Like, that's not not manipulative. That's, like, a really sudden change. Um, again, I, I just feel like that's worth looking at separately from, of course, it is not okay for her to repeatedly email you trying to get back into your life when you have said, I don't want to hear from you again. Like, I, I mm-hmm. do want to make that very, very clear yeah, and just, it is it is really tricky, right? Like, uh, I, I'm a little nervous that, like, of course it was not appropriate for her to kind of, like, necessarily try to manipulate you back into a relationship by saying, I'm suicidal, I have a plan. But I also really hope in that moment you said, like, I can't help you with this. Please, if you feel like you're going to hurt yourself, like, call 911 or something that, like, wasn't just, like, if the conversation was just her saying, I'm suicidal and you said, I never want to hear from you again. That's not a great yeah. thing to say to someone who mm-hmm. is like saying, "I have a plan," even if like even if they're doing it in a way to try to manipulate or control you, like, right?
2: But also, neither is okay. I'll say.
1: Yeah, no, of course <laughs> you shouldn't have had to do that. I just like,
2: but no, wait. definitely don't, just because you know, I think when you get to that point with somebody up.
1: where you're like, you're so enmeshed and entangled, and you've both hurt each other so much that when they say, "I want to die," like, which if a stranger said, you would say, like, "How can I?" get this person like medical attention that if your response is like anger that's like you, again usually a sign that both of you are like enmeshed in a way that's not healthy so i think it's good that you guys are not in contact get to a therapist work some of this stuff out figure out how not to repeat this pattern with future friends or partners or husbands or wives or spouses or whatever And, um, yeah, send that email just very short. Do not address any of the things she tried to say to you. Don't try to hash out old arguments. Don't give her any of what she's looking for, which is, like, conversational purchase to get back into your life. Just say, I've asked you not to contact me. Stop. I'm not going to respond. Um, And then, you know, if you need to let somebody else know, if she keeps it up, like, you can set up, like, a... Gmail folder where our, all her emails will go and get archived so you don't have to see them but like if you need to periodically check up and make sure she's not saying anything like threatening or, or threatening to harm herself or anything that you would want to report um, and then you know hopefully you will not need to escalate hopefully she will respect that
2: completely agree.
1: but like good luck Oof, yeah yeah all right so the subject of this next one is tall poppy dear prudence which like I feel like we all know that expression right like tall poppies get lopped off
2: Oh no, I've never heard that actually. I
1: think it's from um uh, what do you call it? not like the the Commonwealth, the British Commonwealth. it's like mm-hmm. a saying in like Canada and the u k and Australia, which is sort of like don't um. Like don't get too good at anything because you'll too stand big for your out. Britches. Exactly, yeah. Basically, like don't excel at anything because everyone will get mad at you.
2: I thought it was going to be a letter about like a girl with bright red hair or something.
1: Oh, that <laughs> would have been really delightful. Or someone <laughs> yeah, was just like, I have cute. a gardening question. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like, uh, my <laughs> i my guest today brought happy pigs. to
2: feel that. Yeah,
1: fucking of course you <laughs> would have because you just are like Tom Bombadil living in the mountains. Oh, I don't. making beautiful art I and okay. nurturing plants. All right, <laughs> dear Prudence. I grew up in a family where the old saying, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down, held sway. I remember my mother complaining about my messes as she picked up my art projects and threw them out. I remember my dad being upset that one of my brothers was going to be home late due to swimming practice. Instead of expressing pride in how well my brother was doing, he grumbled, that boy has gotten too big for his britches. I need to take him down a peg or two. I was recently told that had I been born in the last 20-something years, I would probably have been classified as a gifted and talented child, quite possibly in the genius range. However, I never did anything with my talents and stumbled through life without any direction except away from wherever I was. I was never what anyone would consider a failure, but I was never happy either. Now, with more life behind me than ahead of me, I am acutely aware that I need to do something with my gifts. However, whenever I attempt an art or writing project, I feel a tightness in my chest and I choke. It's almost a habit. The closest analogy I can come up with is a friend's rescue dog who ducks his head whenever anyone tries to pet him. My reaction doesn't come from having been hit, but it does come from having been emotionally abused. My parents are dead, and my siblings are scattered all over the country. And yet I still feel like I'm sitting at the dining table listening to my parents' complaints. How do I overcome this feeling so I can do what I want to do with whatever is left of my life? Oh, man. Sorry,
0: dude.
1: That sucks. And... Like, for what it's worth, I just, like, I think you expressed yourself really, like, beautifully and poignantly. And, like, I think that that sort of sensitivity and self-awareness will lend itself really well to creative projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean, my my first reaction is, like, do not lean away from that tightness in your chest and from that feeling of choking up. Like, um, I, I don't know if what you're describing feels so overwhelming that you feel physically incapable of continuing. But... Like, take a minute. Like, feel those feelings. And this—I feel like this sounds very, like, woo-woo, but, like, channel that shit, my man. Like, um, those are profound, deep feelings, and I don't think that you should try to get rid of them before you can do any of this stuff. Like, I think— um like take that moment, like that's a beautiful analogy about the rescue dog, like think of yourself in that moment like as a dog that has been hit, and like treat yourself the way you would treat that dog. This is the most hippie stuff I've ever said on the show by the way, but um, like I think you should absolutely um welcome those feelings, invite them in. don't it's sort of like trying to fight crying when you're definitely gonna cry. It just makes it worse to try to fight it off like um. Take the time you need to feel those feelings really thoroughly before you get started. And you may find that, like, not flinching away from them or trying to cover them up actually enables you to, like, okay, I'm going to start some art. And probably for the first 20 minutes, I'm just going to, like, feel this clenching in my chest and maybe cry or want to hit something. And then it's eventually going to pass and I'm still going to be here.
2: I, I totally identify with this letter, not because of my parents, just because of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I would have, I'm doing a lot better now, but it would be to where I'd sit down with all my art stuff out, ready to go, know exactly what I was supposed to paint and just sit there. Because what if I messed up? And it's like, well, what if I get another piece of paper? It's not a big deal. But that feeling is really immobilizing and I get that. Um I think that some little things to do, just in a, on a practical note, would be do art that you would never show anybody at, like, a kid's coloring book. Like, if you have a kid in your life, doodle with them. Some of the crayon drawings that I've done with, like, the little six-year-olds that I know, like... That inspires some great stuff, and it can just—it's really freeing to do something that you know doesn't—will not receive any criticism. But I think another—maybe a next step to get more comfortable with that feeling is take a class. Um, I know it can sound terrifying (laughs) to feel like you're putting yourself in judgment, but to learn that not all criticism is bad. And that criticism can actually, you know, when it's thoughtful and constructive, it can be a real gift. Um, But if he's never experienced that before, that's something that he's going to need to learn. Maybe through through, I think a class would be a good way to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, like— Uh, whoever told you that, like, had you been born later, you would have, uh, like, experienced a certain form of being treated in school, Um, I'm sure they were trying to be helpful. I'm sure that what they were trying to say was, you do have talent. You do Mm -hmm. have gifts. You are a smart, creative person. And it was wrong that your parents' response to that in you and your siblings was apparently like – don't get too big for your britches, I'll knock you down a peg, which is, like, literally the opposite of what parenting should be. Literally the opposite. Um, And I'm really sorry that you had to experience that. Um, But I think sometimes then it can kind of trap us into this cycle of, like, oh, If only this had happened, I would have gotten all these other things, and then I would have done so many other things. And I think that's actually not a super helpful way to think about your life, in part because, like, you don't know what your life would have been like had you been born in the last 20 years. And sometimes it can get so easy to get sort of resentful and stuck into the version of me that was born 20 years later has all these wonderful things and I hate him. Instead of just, you know, you... Maybe you would have gotten put in those classes. Maybe you wouldn't have. Maybe those classes would have, like, nurtured something in you. Maybe you still would have struggled with anxiety and self-doubt. There's just no way of knowing. Like, what matters is acknowledging your gifts and talents now. Um, If you're feeling that sense of, I still feel like I'm at the dinner table listening to my parents' complaints, like, again, lean into that. Like... Say what would my dad say right now? What would my mom say right now? And what's my response to that? Mm-hmm. Like, because I'm at the dinner table now. Like they're dead, right? And I can like finish the conversation. I can move it ahead.
2: Is what they would say true? Yeah, and you can really analyze it. Yeah, and and, and no, would I say that not. to
1: a child? <laughs> like, if I saw like a ten year old heading off to swimming practice, would my response in any way be, I got to knock that like kid down a peg or two? And I think probably you will find that that would not be your response. Um, And so to just like be kind to yourself. Um, Don't try to avoid the feelings that right now make you feel blocked or closed up. Um, And I love that idea. Yeah. Try to do more stuff with other people um, who are like all different ages, all different life experiences, who I promise you also feel a little Mm self-conscious. Like nobody as an adult does anything creative and feels like this is awesome. I'm great at this. Everyone's sort of like, oh, God, is this dumb and I'm itty? Is it too late? Like, is anyone going to laugh at me? I wish I was like 15 and getting a scholarship. Like... (laughs) You will not find yourself alone.
2: The times I go down the rabbit hole of, oh, what if I would have just taken art classes? Or, oh, what if I would have done this, you know, five years earlier? And it's not because it's not helpful.
1: And just, you weren't ready five years no. earlier. I'm just going full hippie, you guys.
2: You're ready now. You're ready like you're not ready it. until
1: you're ready. <laughs> like, I, I do sincerely believe it. And that's not to say, like, you should never have any regrets because regrets can be useful. And you can genuinely feel, I wish I had done something sooner and not let that sort of paralyze you. But you can also just say, like... I wasn't ready then. I'm ready now. What do I need to do to take good care of myself? Um, And good luck. And also, if you do uh, work on an art project or a creative project in the coming months and you want to, please send it our way. I I won't, like, show it or read it on the air or anything like that. But if it would just help you to have somebody you could send something to, even if it's not finished, um, just to kind of share, like, what it feels like, please do. I would love to see that. All right. So from that to something super different, um, would you read this letter?
2: Subject, annoying cancer comments. Earlier this year, at age 32, I was diagnosed with stage 2 DLBCL lymphoma. After multiple rounds of chemotherapy and radiation treatments, I'm now in remission and my hair has been growing back for about three to four weeks. My problem is that after going from a hefty beard and some thick wild hair to being completely bald for a period of time, I get constant comments about my hair growing back, whether it's the barista I see a couple times a week to my coworkers who have literally been talking to me about my hair every single day. A couple of my coworkers have even started giving me opinions on how I should style my hair moving forward, how I should embrace the short length or try new facial hair because now you have a chance to. I think this is coming from a good place, but it grinds my gears so hard, and I just don't know what to say. How do I get them to stop commenting on my hair in their well-meaning ways without coming across as a total jerk?
1: Just thank you for using the expression grinds my gears.
2: So hard. I love
1: it. (laughs) I haven't heard that nearly often enough. What do you do? This is – take it away.
2: Mm. Well, uh, uh, there's always the uh, option – that I sometimes take, which is uh, just wait and it will go away. But that is not what I'm actually suggesting to do. But I hear you. Though. I just want to acknowledge it as an option. Yeah. it's only it's been three to four weeks. Um, it will stop. But oh man, that who I get it
1: especially when oh. you have that <laughs> sense of like I know everyone's coming from a good place. Yes. So I'm gonna feel like a jerk if I say please don't. Yes. But it's like. <clears throat> why do you want to talk about this
2: every day and remind me of you know my my cancer and this like i don't care about my face hair yeah. i see it all the time yeah. or I am excited, but it's a very personal thing, you know? Right. Uh, man, I'm
1: sorry. Yeah. And I think it's just like a classic. People don't always know what to say. Mm-hmm. And so we often, especially when someone's coming through something really serious, like get going into remission, we'll just want to focus on like, oh, here's a good thing. It's mm-hmm. lighthearted. It's not like, do you want to talk about cancer? It's just like, let's talk about hairstyles. So I, like, I agree that you're probably right. They are trying to come from a good place. But that does not mean that you're going to be a total killjoy if you say mm-hmm. something. I don't think they're going to be like... Oh, no, I was just trying to be nice, and now I'm devastated. Right. Like, I I truly think you can just say, I know you're coming from a good place, but I actually don't want to talk about my hair that much. Is that okay? Yeah. Especially your coworkers who are doing it all the time.
2: Especially if you phrase those, like, "It's really kind of bores me, you know? <laughs> like, yeah,
1: yeah. Like, you know, to even just acknowledge, like, I know you're coming from a good mm-hmm. place. I just don't want to talk about my hair. And I really think, given that they're already kind of falling all over themselves to, like, be uplifting and talk about nice things they will be like oh thank you for giving me something to do yes Mm -hmm. i can stop talking about your hair (laughs) i will make a calendar to remind myself to not talk about your hair Um, and then when it comes to your you know you know people that you see not very often you can kind of decide like um do you want to address it at all or do you just want to say like yep thanks um or you can also it's really okay to say like "Ah, i really don't want to talk about my hair that's not rude, that's not mm-hmm. jarring. No one's going to be like, "Oh my god, I was just trying to be nice, you monster." And if they do, walk away. <laughs> but but it it is know. it is hard like whether it's like recovery from an illness or something else. Whenever it feels like your appearance or your body is like up for oh. public comment, even if most of it's positive, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's not fun. No. And that's not to say like, so listeners, if you ever see someone looking different, Never mention it. Keep your damn mouth shut. It just is, like, it's true that when someone goes through something that everyone notices physically, um, whether that's pregnancy, whether that's, like, recovery from cancer, whether that's, like, whatever.
2: Well, my face hair just started to come in. I've been...
1: Are people talking to you a lot about <laughs> what to do up. with it?
2: It comes up. Not really, but, like, if I um, I don't shave, then people will be like... <gasps> Oh, are you how doing exciting! Something? Yeah. Your face hair is starting to grow in, and it's been like, well, it's been there for about a year and a half. I just shave; it's not thick, but yeah. it's like, are you yeah, making I don't a really decision? Wanna...
1: Yeah. You be talking about it? It's are you like... trying to grow a mustache?
2: No, no, mm-hmm. I just have very sensitive baby skin, and I didn't shave this morning. I'm that's, sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um silliness, and like people don't know unless you tell them. Like that's yeah. been... The lesson of the year for me. They think
2: it's so nice. And they probably think they made your day by noticing your great hair. So
1: you got to say, not not you got to. It's helpful to say something before you get to the point where you're like, I'm going to punch Shut the next motherfucker <laughs> yeah. who mentions that I have a body or a face or hair yes. growing out of it. Yes, um, You just got to say, like, hey, I don't want to do that.
2: Yeah. And if you've told somebody and you've got a repeat offender, I always, like, uh, switch it back to their hair. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, are you going to do, like, a bob with your hair? Just don't even <laughs> acknowledge what they said about yours. <laughs> just switch it on to I, them.
1: I don't think I've ever <laughs> heard such a, like, I've never heard someone say like, Oh yeah, you're gonna get like a bob in a way that was like, Wow, that was a beautiful insult. <laughs> right? well oh god.
2: Like yeah. Yeah. I like to really craft the passive aggressiveness, oh, my but god. only if you've already said clearly what you want, which is, you know, yeah. can we can we fix? I and when you say I'm really, you know, I'm kinda done talking about my hair. Thanks. I know it's coming from a good place. Yep. You can even say like, I really like baseball yep. and, you know, yeah. list three things that you rather would love about. to talk about, yeah. Yeah. you know?
1: Um, and, you know, it, it sounds like you feel like, you know, I, how do I stop commenting on this without coming across as a jerk? If you say it like that, you will not come mm-hmm. across as a jerk. No one is going to be like, you asshole. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, they will fall over themselves apologizing yeah. to and the then, point frankly, where you yeah. have to comfort them. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, which is a whole other layer of awfulness. And, like, I think it's a, a good reminder— to all of us, when someone else is going through something really big, even if we sometimes stick our, like, foot in it or, or mess up, try not to make your, like, self-recrimination afterwards so big that they ugh. have to, like, babysit you.
2: It's the worst to, <laughs> to be like, it's okay. You said I wasn't human. You're still <laughs> a nice person. It's just ugh, it's so exhausting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's all take it easy. But, like, you know, <laughs> they don't know. They don't know it bothers you. Give them yeah. that information and they will do better. So I really should not have put these two next to each other because this one I feel like is like everyone's trying their best and this next one is... This isn't the one you're going (laughs) to... Everyone was not trying their best. Um, So the subject of this one was, my husband was a monster and I'm the only one who knows. Dear Prudence, my husband died two weeks ago from cancer. On his deathbed, he confessed that as a teenager, he molested his younger cousin, Dana. She was 11 at the time. Dana has always been a misfit in the family. Drug problems, homelessness, etc. I'd be a fool to ignore how my husband's crime impacted her life. I'm horrified by this knowledge and have no idea what to do. We have two daughters in their early 20s, and although there's never been an indication that he molested them, I'm now haunted by this possibility. Do I seek Dana out and apologize? Do I ask my daughters if their father ever molested them? Our community and our family are grieving my husband, believing him to be a great man. I'm not even sure if I should be allowed to mourn the love of my life. I wish I didn't have this knowledge, but since I do, I desperately need guidance. Jesus Christ.
2: I do not have any fun, passive-aggressive turns for this.
1: No, I I am so sorry. Um, And let's just start by acknowledging this all happened in the last two weeks. Like, I I I hope you are cutting yourself a lot of slack to feel any and every feeling that Mm. comes your way.
2: A lot of crying time.
1: Because this motherfucker literally waited until he was dying to just, like— Dump this information mm-hmm. on you and then like check out.
2: <sighs> yeah, yeah. So rude. Um, not <laughs> that's not enough to say.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, wow. just like yeah, not a great a series of bad decisions on his part, mm. and I'm so sorry that he put you in that position. So, um, yeah, you know, this is going to be very standard issue for me, but therapy. Oh my god, therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a grief counselor, a grief counselor who specializes in f- like trauma and sexual assault and finding out that your partner has victimized somebody else like you don't have to rush into anything like the only thing you have to do right now is get a therapist that you trust so you have someone to talk to about Mm -hmm. this where you're not worried about how is this going to affect your perception of your dead loved one yes you need to talk to somebody who doesn't know your husband who doesn't care about his legacy who you won't worry about like breaking their heart
2: yeah you need to be able to say whatever words you want to say about yeah. this.
1: And Ugh. in the meantime, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline, which is part of RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. The number is 1 800 656. 4673. It's available 24 hours every day. It's totally confidential. um, And that's something that you can do like right now. Like if you need to like sob and scream on the phone to a stranger who's never going to tell anyone what you told them, this is the number to call. And it's not just for people who have been directly victimized. It's also for people who have just learned something about somebody else and don't know what to do. It's for anyone who has been like affected by sexual assault and that is you. You fall into that category and you need and deserve so much support right now because um you know whether or not you ever reach out to Dana, whether or not you ever speak to your daughters about this. Like those are big yeah. questions with serious possible fallout and it's not a decision you should be considering 2 weeks after your husband's mm-hmm. death. So um you are going to get to put those questions, like, on a timetable. And, and the answer to both of those is you don't have to worry about that right now. Because, like, it, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if it would be helpful to Dana. I don't know if it would be mm-hmm. painful to Dana. Um, I don't know if Dana would be embarrassed or resentful or feel like this is way too little too late. Like, I do, and I don't know what your relationship with Dana is like now. I, I can't answer that question. Um, but if and when you ever do start thinking about it, it would need to be what is in Dana's best interests, yes. not, not just like, would this make me feel less guilty?
2: Yeah. will I have a sense of relief.
1: Right. Because that's, that's for thinking. you to work what out in Dana? therapy. And God, yeah. you didn't know. Like, I, I totally understand feeling guilty just because I feel guilty just having heard it. But like, you had no idea. You had no idea. You didn't help him hide anything or cover anything up you didn't facilitate anything no one ever came to you and tried to tell you and you brushed them off like you've done nothing wrong no so again like whether or not you ever speak to dana about this it, it needs to not ever be on the table so soon after he's died and it needs to be only if you feel like um like you feel like you guys have some sort of a relationship and she could receive it Because if the answer is no or even there's some doubt, I think you should err on the side of, like, certainly, like, you can always – in the future, again, when you're feeling a little better, like, if you want to just, like, reach out to her and say, like, I'm really sorry, like, if there's anything you ever need. Like, if you want to call her occasionally or, like, look out for her or make sure she has a place to, like – call when she's going through a rough time, you can do that for her. and Reach
2: that, out to her not based on this.
1: Right. Like, you can think of, like, what do I think Dana could use in terms of support that I would be willing and able to do? And if the answer is, like, kind of nothing right mm-hmm. now, that's okay, too. Again, you did not victimize her. You did not help victimize her. Um, what happened to her was horrible and awful. But you might not be the most necessary person in her life for her to um, get help. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, throw that one way down the line. Uh, When it comes to your daughters, again, it's been two weeks. He just died. You just buried the guy. Uh, Right now, your concern should be getting through the day and processing your feelings.
2: Complicated feelings.
1: I think eventually, after a lot of therapy and a lot of time, you should seriously consider talking to your daughters. Um, If only because I would want to know. You know it's it's important like moral information to have about a parent. Um, if there is even a possibility that he did, I, I think it would be good for you to know again, it would be horrible, be painful. Um, but I think it would be it would be better to have that painful conversation um as hard as it would be, like of course it's gonna be sad and painful. Um, but I think it's better to ask than to to always wonder, you know, because people who Commit like sexual assault and rape often don't just do it the once.
2: Right, I don't. I don't think that she needs to ask them, but I do think she needs to tell them what she knows. I think and that's I think fair. If they have something they would like to share right. with her, right. that would create a great opportunity. And again, not now.
1: Yes, yes, not even close to now. No. Not even in like five months. No, like long time. None. The Therapy I think, now. I think you're right. I think it's 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 awful to put someone in a position of. Hey, I'm asking you directly, like, did your father ever molest you? Yeah. That's too much pressure mm-hmm. to put on somebody. But to say, I found out this information from your father. It's been very painful. I've had to process it in therapy. Um, it, you know, changes how I see him. I'm very sad um, that he hurt somebody like that. And, you know, making it clear that, you know, you're against it. I, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. not of course you are. But, like, sometimes people's response to stuff like this is... Uh, they're so at a loss for what to do they like cover it up or don't talk about it or act like it didn't happen and right that's awful to see that
2: yes yeah
1: but again those are those are like couple years down the line questions Mm -hmm. right now you get to call that number you get to find a therapist you get to lose your mind you get to go feelings ballistic um Feel like of course mourn the love of your life, of course get angry, of course feel any feelings you need to feel. They're all on the table. Like you get to feel all the feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, there is nothing you are not allowed to do right now in and terms of expressing yourself.
2: That includes fondness. Like you will have times where you do remember all those good years of marriage. There yeah. are so long where you didn't know. Yeah, and to you, he he was your husband, and there were parts of him you loved. And I think. There's a huge sense of guilt that comes with, like, feeling fondness towards somebody you know.
1: Right. How could I love somebody who did this? And it's like, because you did not know. Yeah. And because you guys had good times together. And because you loved him. Yeah. Um, And that does not mean that you knew on some level and didn't care. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter to you or that you don't find it morally repugnant. um, But please don't feel like a bad person for mourning your husband, in addition to mourning the person you thought your husband was. Yeah. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that he did that in the first place. I'm so sorry he got away with it. I'm so sorry he chose to share it with you on his deathbed when he knew you would not be able to say or do anything back. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, that that's horrible. And I'm so sorry. Please take care of yourself. Please look after yourself. And good luck, and please don't rush into anything. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we do have time to close with a voicemail.
0: Hi, pretty. So my question is about the transphobia a little bit. I have a friend whose partner recently came out to her as trans and is undergoing a transition process to become a woman in whatever way she sees fit. And she is feeling really upset about this and was contemplating divorce. Um, And another friend of ours said that that's incredibly transphobic of her for not being more supportive of her partner. And she's generally inclined to defer to this friend because she herself is gay and so feels she has more authority on all issues surrounding LGBTQIA people. But I support my friend's decision to think about getting a divorce because at the end of the day, her partner was not upfront with her about what they might be thinking about in the future and how they might change in the future, even though their partner has known for a while, apparently predating their marriage, that she might at some point consider transitioning. So I think it's fair for my friend to feel that There are some parts of her marriage that weren't up front. And if she doesn't feel like she can be with a woman, then that's her prerogative. So I was just wondering what you think. So number
1: one, I think I have some good news for both you and your friend, which is that um, listening to people about their own experiences being gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans whatever, um, is not the same thing as, like, having a, like, chain of command (laughs) where the gayer someone is. I'm Sergeant Gay. (laughs) Yeah, like, well, my friend is gayer than me, so I have to do what she says. Like, I think that's a real misunderstanding of what people ask when they say, like, listen to people talk about their own experiences, take your own, like, heterosexual privilege or whatever into account. It does not mean if you're lesbian friend is like, you have to do this. You have, like, yeah, no, that's not a thing.
2: How many points are you on the Kinsey scale? Okay, I'll listen to you. She's not the
1: boss of your friend's marriage just because she's gay. Like...
2: I love that. <laughs> that
1: would be amazing, though, It's like, everyone in the studio today, like, we, like, filed... Like, line. everybody lined up, like, in accordance to queerness. And whoever, like, won was like, well, I get to decide everyone's schedule for the week.
2: I don't hate it. That's, yeah, Good rules. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We could so try it for a while.
1: We certainly could. Let's fight it out right now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh,
2: so why'd you pick uh, this call for me,
1: Mallory? Uh, <laughs> I picked this call for you because uh, you send... Audrey an email that was like, I can handle letters about transphobia, <laughs> yeah. so you should save me one. And um, I saw it before this letter started. And I also, I, I I get a lot of questions like this that are sort of like... Does being supportive of somebody else's experience mean that I don't have feelings about it myself Mm -hmm. or that I'm not allowed to leave a relationship that's not working for me anymore?
2: And a right to my own experiences. Yeah. Completely. And
1: and I'm just always like, oh, good. I get to preach the good news today. Because the answer is like, no, of course you get to have your own feelings. Mm -hmm. And being supportive is not the same thing as staying married to someone until you die. No, it is not. Yeah. Like, I'm very supportive of you. We're not married. Mm You're married to somebody else. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Like. Yes. I don't have to marry anybody or, like, stay married to anybody. Like, that's part of the wonder of life is Mm -hmm. you can leave marriages.
2: Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, totally sympathize with everybody's feelings in here. This is, yeah, super complicated. But it's not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because, yeah, she can continue to support. And the issue, I don't think... Probably is that she wasn't upfront about it before because I think a lot of times, you know, people are like, yeah, I, I always on some level knew that I was trans or that I might be transitioning, but it's man, you can feel that for years. Decades <laughs> without realizing. Yes. Um, I am trans, so I'm like a major authority on this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> but I'm an authority on my own experience. And I have, this is very, this, it, it, I, I, I get this. I,
1: I do. Lot. Yeah. I, and I think that is worth addressing that kind of sense of sort of unarticulated, but certainly like present in this letter is this sense of like, well, and apparently her partner kind of knew before they got married, so the implication being she just was too
2: liary. <laughs>
1: yeah, like she like she totally knew this was going to happen mm-hmm. and she just withheld it. Not quite for kicks and giggles, but kind of like, oh, she withheld this important information for not a very good reason and right. like
2: underhanded.
1: Probably that's not what was going on, oh, no. probably she was still figuring herself out. and mm-hmm. she was thinking, "I don't think I need to transition or
2: I, I I don't need it. I'll be okay.
1: yeah, i I'm this other thing. or transition is for other people, not for me. and this relationship is what I really need or or whatever. Like, I promise you for her to come to a point where she was like able to tell her wife that she's going to transition, like, this has been hard fought every step of the way. Yes. She was not just like, I don't really feel like mentioning it. I'll keep it in the glove compartment and like bring it up later if I feel like it. Like, once, once I got her. Yeah. Then I'll yeah. let her know. No. no. She was not like totally withholding information where she was just like, yep, I'm definitely trans. I know I'm in to transition and I just won't mention it until I feel like it. Like trust that even if you don't have anything in your own experience that feels similar to this, that this was not done lightly.
2: Or with any dishonesty of spirit, she was (laughs) like
1: she. Yeah, I I think she has been honest. I think Mm -hmm. when she got to a point where she started to think, "Okay, transition is necessary for me," that's when she told her wife. Like as soon as she knew, and and like it's hard to explain because you don't know until you know things. Like this sounds very tumblery, but like you don't know until you know. I
2: I I, like this is so. I, I wore a binder to my wedding, but I still uh, was using my old pronouns. I, I still thought I could. I, I thought just the binder will be fine. Yeah, it'll get me through till I'm dead.
1: It's it's very much like, like that scene from The Jerk with Steve Martin. Where uh, he's getting thrown out of his mansion, and he's like, "I don't need you. I don't need this. I don't need anything. Just this lamp." <laughs> and then like he's like walking out, and he really believes he just needs the lamp. And he's like, "And this rug, this this lamp, and this rug, and, yes. and this ashtray. That's all I need." And like he eventually is like walking out of the house with like his arms just like laden down with <laughs> stuff that he needs. Yep. But like it it is like that. It's like I just need this. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. It's gonna go away. Yep. It's not that bad.
2: Yep. And yeah, I, but just because she was honest and just because this is something that she can't help does not mean that your friend has no options and has to, and that's, I don't think, I think that can definitely be transphobic, but it does not have to be transphobic. Right. That, man, oh, transition yeah, you're the same. I'm the same person I always was, but oh, it does change you. It, you know, it is a, it is a lot. It is a lot, and to handle that in a marriage when that is not what you were expecting, is a lot.
1: Yeah, and for your friend again, like you're you're at a bit of a remove here. Like you, letter writer, voicemail lever. Um, you know, kind of luckily you don't have to do anything right now. Like mm-hmm. it's not your job to make sure anything does or doesn't happen in this marriage. All you need to worry about is being loving and supportive to both of your friends. Um, and like, that's, that's it. That's all you mm-hmm. have to do. Um, and to like make sure that they're both getting the support that they need to just check in like, Hey, how you doing? Like, how's your mental health? Mm-hmm. How you getting through the day? Um, And you can do that for both of them. And, you know, for your friend to know, um, to support someone, to be happy that they are able to, like, access transition if that's what they need, um, you can both do that and say, like, I love you. I'm happy for you. I'm excited for you to, like, um, get to be this part of yourself publicly in a way that you haven't been able to before. And I also am going to have my own responses to it in terms of our marriage because that's not necessarily what I... I didn't know that this was going on with you. And this may not be, like, you know, if if your friend can, considers herself to be, like, totally heterosexual like this, mm-hmm. they might not be compatible. And that doesn't mean that, like, either one of them is a bad person yeah. or homophobic or transphobic or, or or selfish or dishonest or anything. Sometimes shit just doesn't work out. Yeah,
2: And to stay in that because you're afraid of appearing transphobic to me, to is a third not party, helpful. like yeah, yeah no, it's not helpful to the woman who's undergoing transition at all. To to be in that kind of relationship, where like, oh, that no, no, that would not be helpful. Yeah, so yeah, she got to go.
1: She's yeah. got to go. So certainly, you know, again, I know I'm like a broken record today, but like encourage your friend. um who's who's considering leaving her partner to like find a therapist who is, by the way, like LGBT like literate and is not gonna just mm-hmm. be like like facilitating any sort of like shittiness. Yeah. But you can you can be incredibly supportive of somebody's transition and also say, I think our marriage is over and our relationship in the future is not going to be like we're married to each other mm-hmm. and that does not mean you are transphobic or bad or unsupportive it means that your marriage is over yeah those are two really different things yeah um and uh, yeah so just th- that your friend should be able to have room to um like dump out as, as the saying goes, right? Like, because, you you know, like, you you don't necessarily put all of your complicated, complex feelings on the person who's mm. going through something. Right, right, right. right. Like, mm-hmm. it is not necessarily appropriate for her to, like, say to her wife, like, and here's all the things that I feel that I'm losing <sighs> now that you're transitioning. Like, don't no. say that shit to your wife. No. Say it to your therapist. Yeah. And figure out what you need. You're both two people whose experiences matter. And, you you know, sorry, I'm, like, speaking directly to the married couple now, but, like, you don't matter less just because your wife is, like, coming out and transitioning. Um, You both do. And you're Mm -hmm. both going through a lot right now. Yep.
2: And I would also say, I know I'm like, hey, if you got to leave, you got to leave, which I I do think is true. But at the same time, I do hope she gives it time. Yeah. Um, You know, things can get really intense, but things can pass. And that's true, Transition or no transition. Everything, you know, comes in waves and I don't know, give yeah. it some time. But yeah. do you? Sh- your friend has to do what's in her best interest.
1: Right. And I think there's this kind of implicit question, too, towards the end. And I do want to wrap this up because I feel like we could probably spend the rest yeah. of the afternoon doing this. But like um, you say, like, I think it's fair for my friend to feel bad. You actually don't need a reason to feel bad.
2: Mm-mm. And
1: so I think there can kind of be this sense of, like, the only way my friend is allowed to feel bad is if she says that her ex, soon-to-be ex, possible ex-wife did something wrong. So, like, those are our two options, right? Mm-hmm. Is either, like, you did a bad thing, so I get to be sad and victimized. I'm switching who I'm speaking to a lot. <laughs> it's fine. Um, or I am transphobic and bad because I'm sad at the prospect of your transitioning. Mm-hmm. Those are not your only two options. Like, um, It can just be difficult. Like, it can just be hard. Like, your friend's wife was, like, going through something that is incredibly difficult, that is not easy to figure out. There are not a lot, like, no one's running around, like, second-grade classrooms being like, by the way, guys, like, you might be a different gender. Who knows? Like, people don't give you a roadmap. And it's only been very, very recently that even a little bit people have been able to talk about it in a way that's not just totally, like, transphobic and cruel and joking. And it's going to not always be this hard. It will not always be this awful. But right now, you both get to mourn different things and also celebrate different things. And, um... you know it's okay that like if your wife is like sad but also really excited because she gets to finally move towards public transition um whereas you're mostly just feeling sad because all you've got is the end of your marriage and like that's okay you can still acknowledge like that's really good for you i'm happy for you to get to be that but i have to go see my therapist now because i need to cry and like you don't have it's kind of like back to the cancer thing of like you shouldn't have to put that emotional responsibility on that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, life's complicated. Sometimes mm-hmm. things happen that are good but also painful. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're not.
2: Change doesn't make anybody wrong.
1: Right. And if nothing else, please, you do not have to defer to your gayer friends. No. <gasps> I mean, if they're like, hey, you're being listen super- to them. Like, if they're like, hey, stop, like, throwing around slurs. Yes, listen to them, absolutely. But they're not God. Like, they're not, like, gay king of talking or what. Like, no. you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just picturing being, like, getting advice from all my different friends and being like, well, you know, Jedward is the gayest. So, like, I guess, like, Red Lobster it is or whatever. Like, no, that's not—no, you don't have to do that. Woof <laughs> well uh, I think we fixed everyone's problems in the whole world absolutely and I, Really want to eat another fig oh. is what I want to happen next. So I'm going to go ahead and just say goodbye, everyone. Clinton, you were the greatest guest in the history of time.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Please come back on the show a joy and always here. bring figs. <laughs> and next time, bring your entire extended family. Oh, boy. Please bring everyone who's staying at your father-in-law's place. <laughs> Woo. and Dogs, just, too? Like, yes, dogs especially. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of this show. Head to slate.com slash prudence to subscribe. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. If you're looking for more great podcasts from Slate, check out The Gist. It's a daily afternoon podcast about news, culture, and whatever else you'll be discussing with friends and family tonight. Hosted by Mike Pesca. Stay up to date and in the know with The Gist. This is going to sound really weird, but I think figs taste a little bit like how In-N-Out smells.